This is the Lifestyle as Medicine podcast, and I am Mike Riccio, longtime personal trainer, professional strength coach, gym owner, and most importantly, a devoted modern father and husband. I've been fortunate to learn under some of the most intelligent minds in health and fitness over the past 15 years, as well as work with amazing clients and athletes. What I've most fallen in love with over the years is the power we have over our lives, the power to decrease risk of disease and injury, the power to reach our true potential, the deep abilities the body is capable of when all aspects of health are working simultaneously. On this podcast, you will learn the importance of preventative health and how to optimize your habits to optimize your life. Today, you're hearing from Beverly Simpson. Beverly is a entrepreneur, she's a mother, she's a fitness expert and a marketing guru. Beverly has a very unique mix of experience, one that has led her into what she's doing today. What I wanna focus on in today's podcast was the fact that Beverly is such a hands-on and passionate mother, yet she still managed to take these big steps and risks into being an entrepreneur and starting her own company, her own career, and how she is thriving in that career. Beverly also has a niche in working specifically with moms, postpartum moms, and making sure that they are getting the most out of their own life and their own passion and still succeeding in their own goals as well. Beverly is a great example for not only moms, but all parents and fitness experts out there that are trying to take the next steps. This episode is something for everybody. You're really going to enjoy it. Listen in. All right, Beverly, what's going on? Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited for today. So for those who don't know, I was uh, honored to be a guest on Beverly's podcast and we had a ton of fun and I thought we were going to talk for like three more hours after what we did because really we could have easily. <laughs> <laughs> Easily. So I know this one was an easy one to plan for. So before we start, though, for the listeners that don't know you, do you want to give a little background and catch them up? Yeah, sure. So my name is Beverly Simpson, and I'm the owner of B Simpson Fitness, and I work primarily online. I used to be a district fitness manager for Crunch, and I ran five of the gyms in Manhattan, New Jersey area. And then when I got pregnant with my second daughter, I left and I started my own business online, primarily serving and helping moms return to exercise safely after giving birth. But it, of course, led to doing what I've always just really been skilled at doing, which is marketing, sales, and messaging for other personal trainers and physical therapists who are growing their businesses online now as well, or at least using the same principles of marketing, messaging, and sales, and using their online presence. And you're doing both right now, right? Because you're still heavy on the training side virtually with the moms as well, aren't you? So I still have my membership for my moms that I run and do. And mostly I do that because I love it. I love it. And I love hanging out with them and I love working out with them. And honestly, we talked about this before, but it helps me stay accountable because I know that I am accountable to them and I'm showing up for them and it 
it helps me. So I still run it, even though I'm not actively growing it or actively promoting it, I still run it. Because I think one of the things that happens to so many people is they get into business management, at least the fitness management side, whether it's online or in person, is that you put yourself last. And it happens a lot to moms too. And so, and I'm not immune to that. I'm human too. So I do train my moms for that reason. And also because I'm a firm believer that a good trainer is an educated trainer and an educated trainer that has a great service is a great trainer. And great trainers typically don't have to search for revenue. So for me, it's important that I am helping coaches and clinicians sharpen the saw in addition to mastering their messaging, because that's what's going to help people really set themselves apart. And so for me, in order to do that, I'm still very active in learning about the science of training, human movement, and and biomechanics so that I can bring those people to my clients and help them get better. Absolutely. So a lot, most of my listeners, I'm definitely some trainers on here, but most of my listeners are our general population looking to just better their lives, right? Through whether through, through habit change or through big life changes. You made a big life change. You decided with children to leave what I know was at least a stable paycheck, not, not an unstressful check, Definitely not unstressful, but a stable one to do your own thing. So I'd like to dig there first. Mm -hmm. What led you to want to go off on your own and what gave you the confidence to do so? You know, so for me, the reason why I wanted to go on my own, right? I had a lot of things kind of come up for me as a mom specifically, is I feel like you have that pressure and I'll just speak for me because I'll say I had this pressure to both can want to contribute to society as a working professional, but also contribute to the family household. And I'll also say that for me, there were times where I felt like, at least in the fourth trimester, you know, my, my eldest is now five and my youngest is three. So in the early days, there was a sense of feeling like your life was on pause, which was not what I wanted for myself to be. For myself, you know, moms fall asleep to themselves, I feel like, so many times. Mm -hmm. And so I knew that I didn't want that going in. And I also knew that I wanted to be a, a role model for my for my children and to show them, not just tell them that they could be whatever that they wanted to be, but show them that it was possible for them. And my husband came from a family where his mom did that. So he was always supportive, always on board, happy to play that Mr. Mom role or happy to really support me in those dreams. So I felt like that, that was something that was going for me. And so because of that, I felt the need to stay in my position for longer than I say I would want it to want to. Right. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was really Halloween. And it's interesting because we're coming upon Halloween now. But for mm-hmm. me, when I'm working in a gym, for those of you who don't know, 
you had end of the month deadlines every month, at least in my gym. I know mm-hmm. some, I don't, I don't know. I can't say if it's across the board, but I'll tell you at my gym, end of the month deadlines. And so for an entire year, I was literally missing a week of my kid's life yep. to be at work from 7 a.m. till 11 p.m. at night. And then on the final day, it was, you know, midnight, essentially. Yep. And what happened was Halloween came and I missed my daughter's first Halloween. I wasn't there. I was at work. And I remember feeling like, is this what I've signed up for forever? Am I never going to make a Halloween? Am I always going to be sitting here at this gym? Am I going to be missing? And and Halloween is not the only end of the month holiday right? For us, we observe Christmas. So you've got Christmas, you've got New Year's. And it was just, I kept seeing all these holiday experiences that I was going to miss. And now for the record, I'm not afraid of, you know, not untraditional experiences. My husband is NYPD, so we're not living that nine to five. I've never lived that nine to five lifestyle. So it wasn't that I was craving that. I'm an entrepreneur now. I still don't live that nine to five lifestyle. It's not that I was craving that type of normalcy, but I knew that there were moments in my children's life that weren't worth the sacrifice. Yeah. And for me, I had very, very challenging pregnancies and births. And so I had this moment and I also, my background was musical theater. So I had kind of gone from non-traditional life to non-traditional. And I, I got this moment on Halloween of, well, what else is there? And I had a very powerful conversation with one of my trainers and he asked me, he said, are you going to do this for the rest of your life? Is this what you envision? And I'm so tunnel visioned and focused that I hadn't taken the time to really allow myself to dream into well, what is out there and what is possible? And so I had had a conversation with my friend Kyle, who's also been on this podcast, yep. and I had talked about potentially working together in a different capacity outside of what I was currently doing. And that ended up working out later, not in the way that we had originally thought it was going to work out, but uh, it did happen later. But because of those two things, I had that powerful conversation with the trainer and then a conversation with Kyle about potentially doing something different. That's really what caused me to kind of open up my mind as to that there could be something else out there. And then my daughter, I got pregnant with my second daughter and I thought, I can't, I can't. And I, so because of that, we also moved 45 minutes out of Manhattan. And I just thought I couldn't keep commuting and being a mom and going into this gym. And so I said, there's got to be something else out there and I need to have the space to figure out what that's going to be and what that's going to look like. So I quit. And that was it. I had nothing else. I said, I don't know what else is going to happen, but we're going to figure it out. And I feel like it wasn't because, you know, I said this before that I still was afraid. I still felt fear, but the opposite of fear isn't fearless. It's courage. 
And so having the, you know, the courage has kind of always been in me. That's what I've, I was born. I feel like I was born with that and I was born to just be okay with doing it afraid. And the other thing that speaks to, you know, making the decisions, knowing that you're going to do it afraid is that I have failed and I'm putting this in quotations for those of you who can't see it because I actually don't really believe in failure. I believe in lessons. You're going to get the success that you want or the lessons that you need. But um, I have failed more in my life than I have succeeded. And when you are constantly faced with you know, I've called myself the Rudy of internet marketing. When you're constantly beat down, when you are constantly, you know, falling down and then getting back up, that makes it easier because I've experienced the reverse and I've worked with people who've had the reverse where they've had sudden success on accident, then they can't replicate it. And then the fall from grace is far worse. Mm-hmm. But obviously, I've I've made the move that you made from a different standpoint. But so I, I always admire the courage because it is a courage because it's it's freeing, but it's also terrifying at the same mm-hmm. time, right? Like I love it's you're right. It's not the absence of fear because if anything, I'm I've, I live my life more scared and stressed now than I did. But at least with my own on my own terms, I guess is probably the difference. And we had I worked for Export, mm-hmm. which is similar to Crunch, very similar type of gym, and we had closeouts. As I don't know if you called it the same thing. Uh, we did. Yeah. So you're right. It was it was a week at the end of every month with a two to three day just morning till evening. It was. It was a grind. And you're right. And it's not just the end of the month stuff because the closeouts for one thing, it's every holiday mm-hmm. too because you, we work when people don't. So mm-hmm. people are off on Memorial Day and they, you know, then, and they want to train because they have more time. That means we have, you know, we're the ones running those sessions. Mm-hmm. So you're right. There's something very freeing about, and there's something that until you have children, you don't realize how much you value that time and how much you miss those opportunities. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a lot. So you leave and you, you go do your own thing and you choose to work specifically with, with moms. I did. Was it because you were a mom and you connected with that? Was it the biggest opportunity or was it both? It was two things, actually. It was because I, so at the time I was, you know, a a district fitness manager and I was running primarily with, you know, I was in a male dominated industry, right? Not that that was bad because I have worked with incredible males, just to say that. But what it did do to me is that I had zero, and I was a trainer. I mean, and it's interesting, right? At the time, uh, you know, I operated from a really dogmatic approach in how I trained. I recognize now as I've actually gotten more skilled is that dogma exists basically to just cover up insecurities. It was always this feeling of like, I had to prove myself to be the best trainer, right? What does that even mean? It means that I had insecure issues. So I had zero idea about pregnancy about how my body was going to completely transform. I had zero idea about what was going to happen on the other side. Right. And mostly because of just the people that I was hanging out with, it didn't come up not for better, for worse, but no one that I was friends with had been pregnant because I was working with mostly dudes. Right. And so my sister had given me the advice to just don't Google. 
And I took that advice to the extreme, meaning that literally by the time I was about to go into labor, I think it was, you know, right around now, my sister gets on the phone with me and she says, Beverly, just so you know, you're going to look pregnant after you give birth. And I was like, wait, what? Um, <laughs> it's out. I should not look pregnant. She's like, no, you don't, you're not going to just bounce back. You know, I literally had zero idea. And, you know, that's also because I'm not a very, um, I'm, <laughs> and this is not a knock. It's not a negative thing. But most people, when I told them I was having children, they were like, what, really, you? You're, you're having kids? I'm not a really motherly type of person. I don't do awesome. I've never done awesome with other people's children. Like, I'm not really, like. You know, my husband and I were married for almost six years before we had, you know, children. The thought, like, we just didn't, you know, no one really thought I was going to have kids. Right. So I had no experience with being around children or, you know, having, you know, pregnancy stuff. But what I did have experience in was musical theater. And I had actually left musical theater because I thought that I was leaving a narcissistic industry. I know you're going to be like, wait, but fitness. But the difference was that in fitness, I had had that experience, that dopamine effect of helping somebody else, watching their face change when they reached their goals. And that to me was so valuable. It changed me. And somebody gave me the advice once that if you love something else, do something else. And I recognize now, even now, that you have to love the process more than you love the outcomes because you're going to spend more time in the process. So it was an easy transition for me to leave. But at the time, I thought it was because I was also leaving for narcissistic reasons. Like all I was thinking about was what I looked like, how I sounded like, was my hair right? Like I just felt like I was just me, me, me all the time, not recognizing that wherever you go, there you are. Yeah. So when I had my children and I all of a sudden am looking in this and looking and living in this body that I completely did not recognize or know, I started to realize and understand that I had had years of deep seated like body hatred and, and that the narcissisticness was not the industry. It was me. And it was really the ch my children that were the catalysts of those lessons. And so that was when I, and when that happened to me and I realized I'm a trainer, I should know better. I realized that there had a, there was a lot of work to do and I was not the only person that needed to do this work. Yeah, absolutely. So I couldn't agree more. And as, as I, as a husband, someone that's gone through this now a few times, you're right. There's still an issue and it's a specific type of help mm -hmm. and it's a help that really needs someone that can empathize with it mm -hmm. postpartum. It is, it's very different. And my wife and I have had this conversation to where, you know, I, I can try to help as much as I want, but, and I can, I can, I've always had a, your husband and I, we've had front row seats, but we still can't completely understand mm -hmm. what the body has gone through. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. For sure. You know, and it's, it kind of reminds me, and I've actually mentioned this to him. I don't know if you know, Drew, he's fit to fat to fit. I know that. Yes. Right. Yeah. So fit to fat to fit, he's actually doing another thing right now, like fit to fat to 40. Right. Oh, okay. I 
really admire it. And the reason why is because when I listen to his experience and explanation of what was what happens to him mentally, it's very similar to what Mm -hmm. I felt like. I'll speak for me because I can't speak for every woman, but woman, but but for me, that's what it felt like. And this is also why I'm super passionate about weight loss specifically, because I actually did train weight loss. And the reason why is because I was 200 pounds when I got to my fourth trimester. And and I had gained that really quickly because for me, I mean, we could spend all day talking about this, but I had a really hard time breastfeeding and it was something I really wanted to do. So I thought if I just kept eating more that I would be, I, people don't talk about the fourth trimester, but it is brutal. And so I had gained all my weight in the third and fourth trimester. So by the time my daughter was, you know, 12 weeks old, I was 200 pounds and walking up the stairs was, was hard. I was mentally fatigued. I wasn't sleeping. I was miserable inside of my body. And it wasn't just because of what I looked like, right? I was literally having like, I couldn't get in and out of the train comfortably, you know? Mm -hmm. And so for me, you're never going to be able to convince me that that was a healthy state of mind and a healthy place to be ever right now. So I worked on both and I, I fully believe, and I still do to this day that your weight loss journey has to start within, right? You have to be able to accept your body, you know, work with the end in mind. Otherwise you're always going to get to that plate. Otherwise you're going to work from, and that's Stephen Covey who says that, but it's, true in business, but it's also true in your fitness journey is that otherwise you're going to get to this point where it's never enough. I mean, how many times have you looked back at old photos of yourself and laughed and thought, ha ha, I thought I was fat then, you know? So imagine how much more powerful your weight loss journey is going to be when you can accept that you are enough now and that you're just you are healthy now from the inside out you're just waiting you're just you know making the habits and do or making the choices from the habits of a healthy and fit person now right that's going to be ultimately what helps you lose it and keep it off yeah and that's something that you and i dug into on your podcast yeah. was was the idea of you know our definition of body positivity yeah. And, and that's where, and where we both agreed, where is that where that we believe that's where the foundation needs to, to begin was yeah. in a path of still in a place of health, mm-hmm. being comfortable and being happy with yourself, but still coming from a place of health and, and having your best intentions in mind and still trying to be the best version of yourself, not in terms of what people think you should look like, but in mm-hmm. terms of just being healthy on the inside, internally healthy. And so I'm glad you got into the before, because I want to get into the kind of the before and after, because I know you've posted some of those things before. Oh, yeah, sure. So you're working with these female population, but let's get into, let's go back to, you know, how you worked yourself back from that. So I've, I completely understand now how you got into that, that 200 pounds. Yeah. But now, you know, and obviously when people go onto your site after this, they're going to know that you, you clearly are not <laughs> anywhere near. Yeah. How did you work yourself back? So how did you take that, everything you just said, and how did, what was your next steps of that process? Cool. So I love that we're all that we're talking about this too, because I also want to, because I did mention this a little bit earlier, but it didn't just start from getting pregnant because I had also been a fitness manager for 
two years, three years, district fitness manager. And it is easy when you are in that role to stop taking care of yourself. And, and even if you are starting your own business, you have to prioritize that just in the same way as if you're working a nine to five or you're working, you know, your corporate job or whatever your job is, even outside of the fitness industry. I think people just think that, oh, you're in this fitness manager role. That means you work out all day. No, you're, it's like you're in corporate. And if you don't make the time, it's going to catch up with you. And it definitely had caught up with me, right? Not from a sense of I looked anyway different or I was unhealthy. I probably was still working out more than, say, someone who's never worked out before, right? It wasn't that I wasn't, but I had all the reason why I bring that up is that you know, you we're 100% habitual. And so if I was already in the habit, of letting go of my workout or letting go of my needs first. And then you get pregnant on top of that. And then I had a brutal pregnancy. I mean, brutal. People say that, you know, the second trimester is the honeymoon. Oh no, that was the worst for both. And for different reasons, like I just was in pain. I had sciatica. There was one time I was sitting for any of you been to Manhattan. I was sitting on the curb on 19th street waiting for my sciatica moment to pass. And people were like, should we call an ambulance? And I'm like, no, no, I'm going to be fine. Right. So, um, Is brutal, but on this flip, you know, in it, but on top, and then for my second pregnancy, I literally was so sick, I could not keep food down until the third trimester. I mean, I was so sick, people were, I couldn't gain any weight until the third trimester. So, um, you know, I had a lot of things going against me, but what I did have going for me was that I lived in Manhattan. So I walked everywhere. It was easy to get 15,000 steps in a day, easy. And I worked in a gym. So even though I was pregnant, I was still moving and people undervalue the activity and the, the importance of walking just for your fitness and for your mental health and all of it. Right. So I had that going for me. So then I had this, like these moments of like, oh, okay, so it can't go on another diet because I had lived in diet culture. This was me recognizing and realizing, oh, you know, wherever you are, there you are. Right. And I started to do a whole, but I'm PN too. So I had already started to understand habits, but it was actually, I was working with one of my mentors, Jim Fortin, and he had in the past talked a lot about habits and I started to realize, oh, wow, we are, you know, you, you don't get your goals, you get your habits. And so I started to take a look at what my, I was doing habitually. And so I am someone who does not diet. I don't actively count. I'm not somebody who does any of that, but I do think that easy is earned. And I do think that that doesn't mean that I wasn't keeping track of it or acknowledging it because you can't change what you can't see and you can't change what you don't know. So I was paying a lot of attention to what I was saying to myself about myself. And when I say that easy is earned, it's easy for me to look at, like, I know what six ounces of chicken looks like because I have counted it. (laughs) So, you know, it's easy to say, oh yeah, I don't count. But if you're coming from a place where you've never counted before, that can have some value, right? 
you really have to be discerning and understand what works best for you. And I'm also a master marketer, right? So that means that I really ask this question. Anytime somebody says anything to me, I'm always asking, is that really true? What's the opposite of that? right? For better, for worse, only because I'm just looking for the other side. I'm making a case for something else all the time. So, so that can be annoying to have a conversation with me, but, (laughs) um, but, uh, it's been very powerful for me to evaluate what works best for me. So I'm, I don't fall into those trip, into those traps of, Oh, I, it needs to be keto. Oh, it needs to be a diet. Oh, it needs to be counting. I'm, I, and I think that it's a skill to start to pay attention to, you know, what works best for you. And I also think that that part of that is not being emotionally attached to the outcomes. That's also what's made it easier for me is that if I do sit on the couch and eat chips all night, salt and vinegar, that's my flavor, then I'm not going to beat myself up about it. I can evaluate it and be like, all right, what led me to make those decisions? Awesome. Yeah. You mentioned PN. So for those who don't know, that's precision nutrition. it's It's a certifying board that I also am certified through. So that's what they do a good job of, right? Is bringing awareness to things like serving sizes. Mm-hmm. So you're right. Counting at some point, I do think is valuable in, in a way, mm-hmm. even if it's for a short term. Count for a week just to gain the awareness of what the serving size is and then, and then get away from that because it might consume your life. Or use PN stuff where they talk about, you know, a piece of chicken the size of a deck of cards, you know, uh, a serving of fat is the size of your thumb. You know, they have very like these very relatable things that I think are great because you're right. Eating healthy is very vague as a statement. Mm-hmm. So I love the, the awareness that that brings. I also think it's important to remember too, and that I'm really evaluating my emotional state all the time because yeah. that's the most powerful, right? And that's what leads to, which I think, you know, some disordered behavior in terms yeah. of you're always beating yourself up or feeling bad about things yeah. like your feelings. Pain means pay attention. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like I like the listening side. I was, and that's where the awareness stuff was kind of leading. You know, you, there's awareness of food. There's also awareness of of why you're doing what you're doing and how powerful that is. If you like you said, if you sat there binging on a, a bag of chips for a night, instead of just being mad at yourself, do the opposite. Like, okay, why? Ask the why because next time the why happens, you can identify the why, and then you you have that step to focus on versus just the actions. I love that quote. You don't get your goals, you get your habits. Because if if you don't question the why, then the bag of chips every night becomes you. And then that's going to be a really hard thing to, to dig out of later. And then when you can look at it and detach from that emotionalness of like, I messed up, I'm so awful. So I'll speak for me because this is what's true for me. I know that if I do not eat dinner with my children and for parents that are out there, Mm -hmm. listen, I know how hard that is. But what was happening was that I was consistently feeding them and not eating and then going too long without eating, then I would binge on, on chips. But it took time to stop, recognize that that's what was happening, and then I can change the path. Yes. That's been a challenge in our house. So I love that you just brought that up. I was doing that for the longest time. I'd feed them, and then I wanted to eat in peace. So I would wait till they went to bed, so just so I could sit there and chill out and feel like I wasn't multitasking. Mm-hmm. So then I stopped eating dinner with my kids, and then I'd eat on the couch. watching TV before I went to bed. Now that, and you're right, that was the worst thing for me to do because now I'm starving. I want something quick. I'm not preparing food. 
And I went through, you know, the theme of, of this podcast. A lot of it is, is being a working, a working dad. In my case, that was the worst decision I could make. And when I started going back to eating with the kids, I realized I went back to my healthy eating. I went, cause then I started cooking for both of us, which means they started eating healthier also. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to go down a rabbit hole there, but I love that you brought that up because I think that's like a usable thing of the family dinner thing is, is such a, a crucial thing. Oh, I mean, this is a rabbit hole, but there are two things that I do in my, in my family. And listen, we can't sit down together all the time. My husband's never home, yeah, but right. like two things that we do that I think are so important and it's something I grew up with. And so I value it. That's part of it. But if we're home together, we're sitting down. There's no television is on. We have no electronics upstairs. So I do have that privilege of where we have one television and it's in the family room and that's it. There's no electronics upstairs. And I, I tend, even if I ruin my children's lives, I tend to hold to, true to that through until they're out of my house. But um, I don't want electronics in the house or, you know, I work online. I know how dark that is. Mm-hmm. So there's no electronics upstairs and we sit down for a meal and I am not a short or cook. What I eat, they eat. Yes. Period. Yes. And, then, and again, you, you know, it's so hard. It's hard to say. And people hear that and they're like, yeah, well, yeah, obviously you do that. And like, you have no idea how difficult it is because the orders start coming in. And once you go down that slippery slope, it's hard to take out of. And again, that's a mistake I made early on as a parent. That's one that my wife and I really had to battle off of. And we still battle with it. I mean, we're not perfect with it yet, but so, so these points and I, and again, you've kept, and you've said a couple of times, you, you know, you can only speak for yourself, but you're working with moms. You're working. So are these, these are obviously common struggles that, that you're hearing from, from your client base how, from a virtual standpoint, can you make impact with your clients on, on such tough subjects like these? Mm, great question. Well, some of the things from a virtual standpoint that I've been able to do is I really debunked some of the m- beliefs that people hold true. And what I mean by that is, I'll give you an, a tangible example, is people say that they eat junk food or you know food that is not as nourishing. We'll right. say that convenient food, right. right? Because it's faster and they don't have time and they don't have time. And so for funsies, I went live in my group and I said, okay, we're going to race. And my husband and I, we raced and he made a frozen pizza and I took out leftover chicken and made a salad. And I said, let's see who's done faster. And I was done faster from the moment it took to take out the frozen pizza, turn on the oven, let it reheat. I mean, it takes a long time for that 400 oven to go on. Let me just tell you. And then to cook it for the 19 minutes, I was done faster. So when I can like show proof that it's not like that's just a belief it's actually not the fact that it's faster it's that you didn't have a plan in place so it's not about prepping your food you don't have to sit in your house for all day sunday you just need to have a plan and some options yes so those are the things that i could do virtually yes I love, I love that example because it's more than, it's a belief, but it's also a justification Yeah. because beliefs only go so far. People can believe things and still not make them actionable, but beliefs that we want to believe yeah. become really hard to go the other direction. That's why I laugh. And Michelle Boland and I last week had 
the talk about, you know, the good versus bad thing, you know, mm-hmm. and I think it's, and I have a, I'll save this for a different podcast, but the, the idea that bad has become such a bad word that we can't call things bad, but there are things that are negative, you know? So you don't just debunk them by saying that they're myths. You found, you, you go out of your way to really show that they're myths. That's awesome. Always. And then in terms of the tough conversations, right? I mean, because I've had lots of conversations that are like, you know, hard to have. But the benefit of working with moms is, is that it's easier to have these tough conversations because... And this is, you know, a belief, but for me, I think having children was the reason why I could address some of these deep seated things that I've clearly carried through my musical theater days, through my childhood days. But it's because I could say to myself, would you say this to your kid? If your daughter was standing in front of you right now, would you say that to her? And I can also speak to the fact that your children do not demonstrate what you say. They demonstrate what you do. And what is the type of example that you want to be for your children? And that I can say that to myself and I can say that. and, And that made the work that much more important for my moms because, you know, when you can, I also use this analogy too all the time, which is that if you are on an airplane and those oxygen masks come down and you're trying to put it on them first, how effective are you going to be if you don't put that oxygen mask on you first? Yes. And so that's what's helped me have these tough conversations because listen it is not sexy to be like are you looking in the mirror and saying i love you no it's not fun i don't love doing that but i do love doing that to my children you have to ask yourself why what's causing that yeah you know it's i love it and i almost don't want to transition because i think i just want to stay here but, <laughs> but but as but as you're talking I'm realizing there, you know, I was, you know, part of what the transition is going to be, obviously going to this marketing side and you, you eventually, you, you merge away from, from the fitness side and you're still part of it, but you merge. But as you're talking, this, I'm realizing it's not that much of a transition because it's, you're just selling, but you're selling the right things. And Beverly works with my company. So she works with my business partner and I, and she's done wonders for us. And so I hear this tone in our marketing meetings. So I, I hear I hear the comparisons and I, I know both sides of you now. The only difference is, is I can hear your voice selling these myths and debunking these myths and, and doing it, but it's but the right messages that you're selling. So I guess I'll let you tell me why the switch eventually to the marketing side, why get away from training the virtual side, which obviously you are really good at. Mm-hmm. Well, it, two things, right? Number one is that you are selling all the time. Humans sell. To sell is human. I think Daniel Pink was the one that wrote that book. But if you, it it doesn't have to be a product or a service, but you are selling your opinion. You are selling your perspective. You are selling all the time. And the thing that is fun, so that's one thing, right? And so the second thing is that I did say it before, it's what led me to my first transition is that if you don't love the process more than you love the outcome, then don't do it, right? And so for me, because I I live in this, like I live in that 
you know, always making a case for something else. And, and, and I was selling, I was the fastest trainer to go from trainer to assistant fitness manager, to fitness manager, to district fitness manager in the history of that company. I don't know if that's true today. It's been a while, but back then I was the fastest. And I think it's because I love selling and I don't, I do, I love selling. And it's not from a place of, you know, wanting to be greedy or whatnot. I just live and operate from a place that selling is a service, whether it's your perspective or your actual products and services. I just live from there and always have lived from there. So it was easy to, uh, and so because of that, it, it just lives in me and it's always easy for me to, to access it. And that's why I'm always asking myself those questions. Is that really true? I am that person that doesn't, you know, speed pass through, through commercials because I want to watch them. I want to know what's landing on me, why it's landing on me, what's powerful about it for better, for worse. Right. But from a place of knowing that selling is a service and, and that, and that I am here to help other people. And what I was saying in my Instagram story today is that what kills me is that people think that marketers are so sleazy and they think that for a reason, I gave an example of why I'm so passionate about helping smart coaches get in front of the people that they need to serve because there are people like there's a reason it's a cliche because there are people that don't care and they just want your money and they're going to tell you that you can lose 90 pounds in five days or five weeks whatever it was which is just not true and so for me I have found that the coaches that are super smart are typically the ones that struggle the most because they operate from what I call the coach's curse, which is that they live in this beginner's mindset, knowing that they have so much more to learn, which I think is a gift and a gift to the clients. But when you have your marketers that are like sharks out there that are like, no, this is the way. And then know how to sell. They get all of the people and it hurts people more than it serves people. And so it, it's easy for me to want to help those who really want to help others. And so that was an, another uh, transition. But I think what really led to me doing it is because I, listen, I'm also stubborn for lack of a better word, but I, and relentless is another way to say it. So I was determined not to give up, right? And I had this vision of what my success was supposed to look like, completely not recognizing that I needed to shift and that I'm, that I'm supposed to shift. But um, I had my good friend come to me and he's someone that like, that I respect as a colleague. He was a mentor of mine. He taught me everything I know about training. And he was like, Hey, can you help me with this? And when he asked me, I said, Oh, okay. And then, Oh, you just do this. And he was kind of like, wait, what do I do? And then it was that moment that I was like, I need to stop resisting this and just lean into what I'm supposed to do. And then, everything just kind of fell into place. And to your point about, you know, wherever you go, there you are. All of these things that I talk about in terms of marketing and business, these 
are principles and they transcend. So things that my fitness clients were going through in terms of the mental health is the same stuff my trainers go through. It's just looks different. It's, it's like they have the same, you know, they're putting on a dress. It just looks different. Yeah. The same stuff. Same thing. I, I love this point of, cause it's this way I haven't even seen it directly as you said it. I know a lot of the people you work with and they all are, they're all good trainers. Like your client base is quality people who are going to help people. And when you look at it that way, that you are, you're helping the right people market that it's a much more moral and ethical viewpoint at marketing than what most people think it is. Cause, and, and I'm one of those people too, where I, I hate being sold. Mm-hmm. It's funny cause I, I do it all day long. Yeah. But, but if someone tries to sell me, I immediately go down this, put up this negative wall of, of absolutely not you're, you're out, but, but maybe it's the right person selling me the right thing that I'm looking for anyway. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, and I, I went through this path for a while where I thought, and I think we all do this. I think fitness professionals who are in this for you know a decade or plus, and we all think I need to get out, right? It's a stressful industry. It's a lot out. I'm a really good salesman. If I can sell this, I can sell anything. Three months later, I'm, I'm back in a gym because I realized in that sales job that I took and it was like credit card processing. It was, and I thought it was so cool too. Like, oh, you're gonna, you're gonna work with bar owners all day long. I'm like, well, yeah, it's great. I'm gonna go in and out of restaurants and bars all day long. This is gonna be so much fun, way better than what I'm doing now. What I found for myself was I, I wasn't a good salesman in general. I love selling a quality product. I love selling something that I believed in. And I, and I hear that in you when you're working with us. So I know you're the same way. That's what made it good because I know that when I did make the sale, it was something that the person really didn't need. It was going to get help from. Mm-hmm. So I, I love, I think people need to probably be more open-minded to marketing and salesmen and because, and just give it that chance to say, maybe it's the right thing. Maybe I need this. Well, so many people do it wrong, right? And here's the analogy that I use, right? And I think of those well-meaning MLMs, right? Which is, imagine going into the bar and you're like, hey, can I buy you a drink? Hey, can I buy you a drink? Hey, can I buy you a drink? Why don't we continue to get to know each other? And then I'll ask you to get married, right? But these MLMs friend you, they walk into the bar and they're like, hey, marry me. Marry me, marry me, marry me. Could, nobody does that. And like, oh, well, who's that crazy person at the bar trying to talk to me? Right. So, it, it, you know, I feel like they do that too. And there comes this desperate energy of like, I, you know, and I say well meaning because they get a bad rep, but I, I, you know, I've been there. I know what it's like to need to generate revenue. I get it. So, um, they get a bad rep in that way. But, um, that's what happens too. Yeah. I also think that it's, you know, I wanted to just say too that the same things that your clients go through in terms of like, I want it and I want it now. I need it fast. I want this diet pill. I want this. I want that. Right. My marketing clients, the same thing, just business focused. I want a million followers and I want it yesterday and I want to make a million dollars tomorrow. Right. Anything worth doing takes time. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing too, to your point, because my dad has said a million times, your skills transcend. Why are you only working in fitness? You can go to do, you know, work with anything. And fitness changed my life. Fitness helped my mental health. Fitness helped me, you know, find my dearest friends. I love fitness. I couldn't, yeah, I could probably sell Eskimo ice, but I don't <laughs> want to. 
Yeah, and you could. I know you could. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. It's not rewarding. Yes. And this probably brings us, you know, in a way full circle to, you know, why you, you know, why we switch and why we need major life changes because we need something that's rewarding. We need something that's self-fulfilling, just like being with our kids is. Mm-hmm. You know, I guess, you know, and there's where a lot of the connection is. You, you took one of my questions from me, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Okay. You know, you know for, for people out there that want to make changes and they want to, and they, they feel like they've got something good. They want to start a business. I don't care what it is, fitness or not. What are common mistakes you see people make? So let's help people out. So you're on the fence. You're about to quit your job. You think you have a good idea. Forgetting the fact that you need to get investment money, which is a whole different type of selling. And we'll, we'll save that for today. What are the mistakes that people make at the beginning that you think could speed up the process if they didn't make them? So I'm going to speak to business specifically, but it's actually true for any type of fitness goal too. weight loss, strength gain, lifestyle change, any type of change. And it's going to sound backwards, but just hear me out on this. And I've kind of alluded to it, but I'm going to clarify, which is that you need to be okay with where you are now. Because one, if you are, and I have learned this the hard way, when you are constantly chasing something and you are chasing that void and thinking that if I just make 10K, if I just make, you know, a hundred, you know, or lose 50 pounds or make a hundred grand, then I'm going to be fulfilled. If this, then that, that is backwards and you will, you will never feel satisfied. You have to be and feel good where you are now and then have fun and get excited about playing the game. And so if you are in this place where it's hard for you to do that, because listen, next level, you know, next devil, there's always going to be something all of a sudden, like I'll never forget. I made my first 10 K in a month and i just was defeated and my husband was like what's wrong with you and i had to take that moment of oh yeah what it what there's something there there's a lesson there remember pain means pay attention so in the ways that i've done that is to just be grateful for everything i don't you know no matter what right like and it it's so easier said than done because if you are someone that's, you know, suffering from losing someone from COVID or whatever it is, right. When you can truly be grateful for whatever this lesson is, it will change you. And the second thing is to be responsible. And it's more than, you know, taking responsibility. It's actually just living from a place of being responsible. So what that means is that you are no longer a victim of your circumstances. You are responsible for them. And life happens for you, not to you. And so having those two like values essentially in my business and how I live my life, that has ultimately been what also helps me face fear when fear comes. That's number one or 1.5. Right. Uh, and, but that's a big one. Honestly, anyone who like takes off the leap, if you could, you know, live from there and operate from there, that would, you know, change your life. The second thing I would say that a lot of people not make the mistake, I don't want to say make the mistake, but what people face is that fear of judgment, 
right? And just kind of fear in general. We've talked about it. We've talked about mm-hmm. it here. But to like to remember that fear is your friend. Even if you're like going to the gym for the first time or you're anything that's happening, right? Fear is your friend and it's brain-based and it's designed specifically to, to keep you safe. So you are going to feel it all the time. So the faster you can like know that it's coming and feel better, the better knowing that it's your friend and you can actually talk to it like a friend. I know that sounds really woo and crazy, but honestly, when I start to feel that anxiety, I'll just say, Hey, I'm safe. It's okay. It's okay. Nothing's going to happen. Everything is fine. That's one thing that people do. And then also kind of to that is to just get really clear on what it is that you are doing, why you are doing it, and who you are doing it for. Because I think too, when we start to feel afraid and when we start to feel fear, it's we start to create from a place of trying to prove ourselves to our colleagues, to you know maybe even to yourself. It was for me. I had to prove to myself. That keeps people trapped. And honestly, that's what kept me trapped for so long was that I kept being afraid to talk about weight loss because of the body positive movement. Mm-hmm. And I, I was afraid to go against the grain in my, you know, around my colleagues that I respected. And the second I could let that go, the faster I grow. So those are what I would tell people. Okay. I, that's, it's awesome advice. And I'm, and obviously as you're talking, I'm, you know, I, we talk about this in the behind doors, but this is stuff that we that we struggle with. And I, I do this in general, because you're right, this is past business, where I, I get ahead of myself. And I'm, I'm very good at getting ahead of myself and seeing what I want later. But in the meantime, I need to take a step back and just, what can I control today? Mm-hmm. What control today, do today. And, and you're right about the fear being, it just becomes kind of a consistent part when you become a business owner, when you take these leaps, or when you become a parent. Uh, for me, that's been comparable where, you'll realize you just live afraid. I, I'm, I'm afraid of if they're gonna hurt today. I'm afraid of how they're gonna be when they're a 16 year old driver. I mean, I'm worrying about things that I don't have to worry about for two more decades. Oh, I'll prepare you for the first time Gwen went on the bus. I mean, I didn't sleep for a week. No, not what? I'm, I'm gonna have to become a bus driver, Beverly, because that's the only way they're getting on a bus without me is I'll become the bus driver. <laughs> that's it, that's it. <laughs> And maybe that's my path. Maybe I just have to, uh, every job change I have from now on to just be wherever my kids go. Do they need a do they need a teacher? I guess I'll be a teacher now, and then eventually I'll be a coach. And then I don't know. I'll just keep switching because. Mm-hmm. But um, but you're right. We we have to kind of like not get numb to it, but be better aware of fear because it's going to be a part of you. Mm-hmm. It's going it's going to be there anyway. So you better learn how to live with it and listen to it because if not, it's going to take you down. And I'm sure you feel the same way where I go to those. We all have those days, whether it's once a month or once every quarter or sometimes once a week where you're like, I, I don't know if I can do this anymore. It's it, the stress becomes that overwhelming where if you can't take a step back, especially on those days, it's, it gets really hard. And I'm glad you bring that up because you know, there is that physical component, which is probably why I love fitness too much is that you've got to figure a way to mitigate your stress. Mm-hmm. Like you just, your mental stress, you have to. And the other thing, and the last thing I'll say about it too, and it's cause something that I ask myself all the time is that is to remember that I only get this life once. Yep. It's so short. And if COVID has taught us anything is that nothing is promised, not the next five minutes. So if you are waiting, like, what are you waiting for? Yeah. Every, every minute you wait is, is a minute past that. You're not getting back. You're not getting that time back. 
No, no. And, and you're right. And that, and I'll, I'll expand that to everything from what we eat. You know, you get one body, you get one life, you get one chance. Like, you know, how we prioritize things, you know, when we think of it this way, it, it changes how we prioritize things a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Beverly, this is awesome. So tell people, what are you, what are you working on now and where can people find you? Both trainers and non. Well, the best place to find me to hang out with me is on Instagram. I'm a really kind of, I'm at B Simpson fitness everywhere. So Instagram is where I really spend most of my time. I'm there on Facebook and I am literally everywhere. My podcast, PT profit formula, that's where I'm hanging out too. But in terms of projects that I'm working on, I'm really focusing only on my marketing. So you can come hang out on Instagram and you'll learn all about that. Yeah, your, your content is awesome. And again, both for my trainer friends and listeners, my entrepreneurs, and for my moms. Go seek out Beverly because her stuff is, it's impactful and it's great. And uh, it's the reason that I work with her is because we love her. So, Thank yeah. you. All right, Beverly, I think that's uh, probably a good stopping point for today. I, uh, I really appreciate you being on. This is fun. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. It was such a good time. We'll do it again. And uh, I'll talk to you soon. Okay, great. Thank you for listening to the Lifestyle as Medicine podcast. Find more episodes like this at www.lifestyleasmedicinepodcast.com and visit www.marhealthandperformance.com and at marhealthandperformance on both Facebook and Instagram for more great content and information about programs. Have a great day and see you next time.